Let's do this. The of Hockey Podcast by the Faithful for the Faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. We both just watched a rather rancid uh, AHL game. The Bakersfield Condors beat 6-2 by the Colorado Eagles after beating the Colorado Eagles 6-2 the previous night. I watched both games. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been watching a little bit of Bakersfield um, this year and these two most recent games. So tonight we're going to come at you guys and girls with uh, our take on some of the prospects uh, on the AHL team. Um, Bruce, before we get into that, though, let's talk about the Oilers. Now, they might play Friday or they might not. It's interesting. JT Miller of the Canucks. uh, Did you catch what he said today, Bruce? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I certainly got the gist of it. Uh, oh, was I that? Read, well, I, I read a story. Well, summarize was uh, that he didn't think there was any way they'd be ready to play, uh, that he didn't think he would be ready to play. And he was one of about two players on the team who didn't uh, test positive for COVID. And he's, you know, been out of action for two weeks. And I guess they got one team practice tomorrow and a game day skate and a pregame warm up. And then they're supposed to be able to play the Oilers. And he said that about himself, and the, but he also said that a number of his teammates had been sick, so they have a lot further road to to go to be close to game ready. And he his conclusion was that the team just wouldn't be ready to play, and they probably shouldn't play on Friday. They so ten guy. I read ten guys have been skating since Monday, and did they mm-hmm. skate today? Uh, well, some of them did. I mean, at this moment, fourteen players have been cleared to play. I Two see. goalies, six defensemen, and only six forwards. So there will be more in the next couple of days, but there may also be members of the Utica Comets called into service for uh, Friday night's game, should it go ahead. Did they call those players up previously? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, that... Because otherwise they can't play. Of, because, yeah, yeah. There, there would be... Uh, um, that's players. All I know is that's how many players off the Vancouver roster have been cleared, and what's the status of the Comets? I'm not sure if they've made recalls or not. Well, that's if the NH, if the NHL's attitude is that the show must go on, mm-hmm. um, and they were hoping for a ringing endorsement of that kind of old school uh, saying, they did not get it from J.T. Miller in the least. He was not at all happy. I wonder if one more day off, like if they canceled Friday's game and they were playing Saturday would be sufficient or, you know, didn't sound, I imagine they're just not too keen about the rest of the season. Uh, the Canucks, but on the other hand, they are professional athletes getting paychecks and, um, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets postponed. Uh, I wouldn't either. I mean, one of the things that Miller said was that he says one thing when the players themselves get sick, but when their wives get sick and their children and their pregnant wives was the third thing he said, then it goes beyond hockey. And uh, he was uh, he was quite outspoken that um, that, uh, you know, he said, I'm a competitor and I, you know, but but uh you know, life comes first, basically. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but it was fairly direct. Sure, and there's a lot of fear around this disease. Um, so uh, you can imagine there's a lot of stress uh, for everybody involved. 
well, we'll see what happens in that, and we'll. Uh, yeah. If if they're Here, going there, if there's, I... there's a there's a game Friday night with the Bakersfield team, Bruce. So maybe if uh, the Oilers don't play, we'll get back together and do another podcast on Bakersfield that night. Sure. Here, okay. Here's the, here's the exact quote. I don't feel ready. If I'm being honest. Uh, it's kind of crazy. I know everyone has a job to do, but <coughs> to expect our entire team to be ready to play in one practice and a pregame skate is a bit hard to comprehend. To be brutally honest, we're going to need more time than this to come back and play hockey. Even the guys that didn't get it aren't ready. And uh, he says, I hope people don't take this the wrong way. I'm a super competitive guy, but this isn't about hockey for our team. This is about the health and safety of our players, their family, and their children. This isn't about making the playoffs. What we're being asked to do is not going to be safe, if you're asking me. And then it's, Tanner it's, Pearson chipped in with, I think guys are pretty confident in themselves to get over it, but when it starts hitting wives and kids and pregnant wives, that's when it really becomes more than hockey. That's when it scares you a bit. I wonder if the Vancouver Canucks knew what Miller was going to say and, and were wanting him to make that kind of comment public. Because um, it may be, in fact, like the, the organization, um, if you want to lobby the NHL and, the, and to change its mind, that was a pretty effective thing to have happen as a player to come forward and speak out like that. And and I, I wonder if, if in fact, that, that they didn't know he was going to do that and try to, try to uh, change minds in New York. I read that article on TSN.ca earlier today, but now it's been updated to say the National Hockey League Players Association and Canucks Medical will be involved in determining whether the Canucks are healthy enough to play on Friday. This is Drager, Darren Drager of TSN. Uh, decision will be based on the doctor's evaluations of the players tomorrow, meaning Thursday. So they're going to they're they're still hedging their bets a little bit. Here's my here's my prediction, David, my fearless prediction. They're going to make the Oilers fly to Vancouver, and then they're going to cancel the game. <laughs> Bruce, you always are. Yeah, yeah. Well, if the NHL is involved, they're going to find some way to make it tough on the Oilers. It's my uh, long and bitter I experience. I think Edmonton will delay. It's they. I think they have their own plane, don't they? They charter a plane. Oh. So I, I, I assume they'll skate in Edmonton Thursday morning and then mm-hmm. wait for the decision. Here's what I don't understand. Vancouver was scheduled to play in Edmonton three different games, all in Edmonton, on the 3rd, the 12th, and the 14th. And now they're playing a makeup game in Vancouver on the 16th. And then the Oilers had to fly to Winnipeg on the 17th. Like, what is that? They got to fly two time zones away or two time zones earlier to play Saturday after playing in Vancouver on Friday. But why are the three games that were missed in Edmonton being, why was the first one being made up in Vancouver? I don't understand it. I don't, I don't get this. Well, maybe it's harder to get the Canucks to fly somewhere else and clear all the health regulations. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, uh, Ryden Nugent Hopkins is not practicing yet uh, with the mm-hmm. team. He's been on the ice skating. So it's a little concerning. Yep. He took a blow to the head and, uh, that's that's a little bit frightening, and we'll see what happens. He's re- having a tough year. He's having a really tough year, and a lot of people are, you know, for the first time, I'm starting to hear a, a serious debate about whether the Oilers should re-up him at the amount of money that he's been getting, you know, the $6 million a year. And I think it's a completely fair debate, like, honestly. Uh, it's a lot of money. 
in today's NHL, $6 million a year for a player. And they need more than Nugent Hopkins has given them all year. So um, this injury sets him back in terms of changing people's minds, if, if that's what his goal is. I'm sure it is. You know, my own remedy would be to reunite him with Dry Settle and Yamamoto, but um, we'll see if that happens. But this is not a this isn't good news. No. No, he's coming off at seasons of 69 and 61 points. Uh, his two career highs and the 61, of course, he only played 65 games last year, and the Oilers only played 71. Uh, but this year. He's on pace for if they played a full 82-game se- season for around 55 points. And his even strength production has just fallen through the floor. And I've, we've talked about this before. He has, he's had one primary assist at even strength in the entire season. Like, not once has he set up Connor McDavid, his regular line mate, 23 goals leading team scorer for the Oilers. Not once has Nugent Hopkins set up McDavid for an even strength goal. And that's just baffling. How is that even possible when they played the better part of 40 games together? I, I never would have thought, Bruce, that they would have so little chemistry together. You know, no. like, because in the past, when they played together, they were kind of not bad. Like, I remember that line one year where they, when, when they finally moved Nugent Hopkins to the wing, um, they, you know, he had been center and he had not been thriving there. And they finally moved him to the wing and they put him with Ty Ratty and McDavid on a line. And that line was really good for about a month. And... Um, Gave hope both both for Ty Ratty's performance going forward and for Nugent Hopkins. Now, Nuge has has prospered, generally speaking, on the wing, especially when he was with Drysaddle and Yamamoto. So I just think to get Nugent Hopkins going, they almost need to reunite that line, if for for no other reason. See if that works. See what you can to get this guy's game cranked up again because he's got half the even strength points, half the rate of even strength point scoring as he had last year, pretty much. He's just, he's really struggling. Yeah. And um, hopefully uh, hopefully he'll be hale and hearty and ready to go when the Oilers do return to the ice. Um, Bruce, he did skate. He just skated before yeah. the team. And they, they were talking about him maybe being back. Um, well, that was yesterday. I guess he wasn't back today then. I, so he's, he's uh, yeah, well, they, they, he's close anyway, because he, he wouldn't be skating at all if he was concussed, you know. So last time we talked, I was talking about like how the grade A shots had dropped off for the orders. And I f- kind of fleshed it out by looking at some other statistics other than just our own grade A statistics, you know, our, our own project. So uh, in terms of official shots on net, comparing the first um, 12 games, or excuse me, the first 30 games that the orders played this year when they were regularly outchancing, outscoring, and outshooting other teams compared to the last 12 games. So, um, you know, this ties into the, the. I see the Oilers as a team right now, kind of at a crossroads. You and other people have made a very fair point that they have had a very difficult schedule in the last month, and the last dozen games they have won seven games. So there's a lot. There's a lot to be said for that. They've gotten great goaltending. They've had great special teams. But I'm seeing this trend and it's worrying. So, I, you know, I dug in a little deeper and here's what I found. So when it comes to shots, Bruce, in the first 30 games, the Oilers averaged 32 shots a game. And in the last 12, they've had 25 shots a game. They're giving up the same number of shots, 31 and 31. 
When it comes to high danger chances for, now this is measured by Natural Stat Trick, the website. And what they do is they, they chart this mechanically. Right. Um, they, they, just, they just have a, a defined um, home plate area in front, of the, the op, in front of the net. And if a shot is taken at net, it doesn't have to hit the net from that area. They count that as a, as a high danger chance. So in the first 30 games, um, they, the Oilers averaged 12.7 high danger chances per game, according to Natural Stat Trick. And in the last 12, 7.1. Jeez, so it mirrors got, our stats, eh? Well, b- what we count is what we consider to be shots that have a 25% chance of going in. So they don't even necessarily have, like if it's Leon Dreisettle shooting from outside that home play area, home plate area on a one-timer, we'll count that. But for us to count it, the shot has to be on net and it has to be a hard shot on net, not just a dribbler. But our our numbers are just the same or very similar. In the first uh, 30 games, we had a, the exact same number, 12.7 grade A chances per game, mm-hmm. and we have them dropping to 7.8 grade A chances per game in the last 12. Now, this is both of us, both these mm-hmm. independent, you know, way of looking at scoring chances. See, a, let's face it, this is a kind of a catastrophic drop-off in offense in the last dozen games. Now, again, as you say, it could be related as other people, it could be partially, probably as partially related to a uh, a crappy schedule, a, a very difficult schedule. In terms of goals, they've dropped off half. Um, they're scoring one half goal per game less. So they've gone from 3.33 goals per game to 2.83 goals for per game. Uh, they're also giving up slightly fewer goals. So their defense has improved a little bit. But, man, they're, they are, they've gone from I, what I saw as a very good team with a legitimate shot of going deep into the playoffs to a team that if they don't figure this out somehow, they're, they are going nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I see no, I, again, I see no chemistry on their top two lines and um, a coach who has a great opportunity to impress me and impress us all by figuring it out and getting the right peak players on the ice at the right time and getting that score getting this offense cranked up again. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about that schedule, though, shall we? Go uh, ahead. That, um, um, I mean, the last 12 games, uh, they started they, they started with a pair of games in Calgary where they lost the first game, won the second game 7-3. Then they came home and they beat Winnipeg 2-1 and they beat Winnipeg again 4-2. Okay, and that was the end of the the schedule following the script of what was originally written for the season, game 34 against Winnipeg. Since then, on March 20th, the Oilers have had six, count of six games postponed. Uh, they've had two makeup games inserted both at the end of, of uh, Eastern road trips and jammed in at the schedule on, on uh, uh, forcing the Oilers to play back-to-backs of uh, one description or another. Uh, they had one game moved up to make to accommodate another game for TV on the day of the Colby Cave Memorial. They played their two worst games of the season. I'll say that unequivocally. Their two worst games of the season were those two games that were rescheduled at the end of those two road trips. They lost 4 nothing at Montreal. They lost 5 nothing at Calgary. They stank in both games. And there, were mitig- there was mitigating circumstances in both games. Uh, so... Of the last eight games of the 12, seven of them were on the road. They had one home game. They had another home game postponed because the other team got sick, Vancouver. 
and then they went straight back on the uh, three-game road trip with a with a Western game at the end tacked on. So even with those two horrible stinkers in there, in those eight games, the Oilers are four, two, and two, ten points, and that's a survival rate, or a little better than a survival rate uh, in the NHL. Even with the cockamamie point system, you know you'd expect four, three, and one out of eight games to sort of tread water, and four and four will do it, right? But four, two, and two is actually not bad. And you and I will agree they didn't play a lot of good hockey in those eight games, but somehow they hung around and were able to get points and all but the two that they completely stunk the place out. And so to me, this was a part I was worried about this this segment. I thought they could really take a dive in the standings during these road trips, and they really haven't. And so, I mean, the positive to take away from that is 10 points in those eight games where seven were on the road and there was a lot of circumstances uh, that were not in Edmonton's favor, various, all the reschedulings and moving around and added days on end of road trips and, and stuff. And now they're waited out another week where they should have had evenly spaced games against Vancouver. And now they're going back at it with two more road games at Vancouver and then at Winnipeg the next night, making nine out of 10. But even if they lose both those games, they'll have 10 points out of those 10, 10 games. So, to me, that you know, their performance has dipped during this sort of natural downer time in the schedule, but their their uh, results have held steady enough for whatever reason. You know, it's McDavid and Drysaddle providing big goals one night, or it might be Koskinen or Smith coming up with big saves on another night, or uh, one night the bottom six will chip in, and somehow they've they found ways to. To, to to win or get points in the close games, and it was only in those two blowouts that you know there was, you know they turn out the lights early on both of those. But uh, so there's positives to be found in the in the negatives. So the glass is half full and the glass is half empty. Mm-hmm, I think it's fair to say. Things. And usually <laughs> I'm I'm a glass is half full kind of guy. I, oh, yeah. And and I, I'm quite. <sighs> Uh, but uh, I can't be because I, I, I'm not seeing the solution to this uh, present itself. I think there are solutions, but I'm not seeing the solution. So until I until I see some positive things, um, and they're going right back at it with Drysaddle and McDavid again, um, looks like going to be the lineup. So, I mean, uh, anyway, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. It, you know, it maybe if Nuge comes back, they'll they'll change up the lineup. Bruce, we what uh, what one of the things I've been hoping to see is that they will call up some players from Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. So this this week has given me the opportunity. I've seen these two games. You what you you watched them tonight. They're going to play mm-hmm. Friday. So if the Oilers don't play Friday, I'm going to watch that. And yep. and if you watch sure. it, we can do another podcast if we want. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we 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 have a little bit of a just some impressions. Of the you know these this is we've been we saw some of these players in Europe. Sure I've seen the players play a handful of games in Bakersfield this year. So let's let's go down the list and we're gonna we'll, we'll focus on the ten prospects um, that I, as I see them. Starting with Theodore Lenstrom, who is 26 years old, so he's not really a prospect anymore, but he is on an NHL contract yeah. and was here in Edmonton for a time. What did you think of uh, his game tonight? Uh, I I saw some of both. Uh, I saw one one play where he really made a there was a, a a breakdown and a bad giveaway at the opposite point for what could have been a breakaway for the um, uh, uh, Colorado player 
And Lindstrom read the trouble early, and he took off. And man, can he ever fly, because he cut that guy off on the other side of the ice. And the guy got sort of not even to the top of the face-off circle, and he already had Lindstrom in his face. And Lindstrom, first of all, forced the guy back. And then when he came at him the second time, Lindstrom just took the puck right off the guy and, and brought it out on his own. I thought, good, great. But then he was caught in no man's land on the 3 nothing goal where there was no defenders anywhere near the net. And he, the left defenseman, had gone all the way over to the right boards to try and make a play. And his uh, right defense partner, who I believe at that time was Vincent DeHarnay, yeah. also got caught on the right side. And there wound up being a guy all alone in front that uh, that was, you know, unchallenged, and he was able to pop one top corner. So Lindstrom on that play, you know, he was probably guilty of uh, error by commission, where he tried to do something rather than keeping his position in the costume. He went for the hit on that play, mm-hmm. and they didn't get... E- Lenstrom and DeHarnay did not get support from the center, from Ooh. the forwards on the ice. Esposito, I think, and Malone, if I'm not yep. mistaken, were out there. And they needed that support on that play because they actually were each taking their man. Now, now DeHarnay lit, allowed the pass into the slot, but mm-hmm. uh, the, it went to someone who was not covered and needed to be covered. So uh, I, I continue to like the player because of his fantastic skating ability. I think he's much more of an NHL prospect than Joel Persson ever was because Lenstrom is a far more uh, uh, advanced skater. He, he just flies out there. And I, I, I like the way he plays the game. He's, he's, quite, he's an active player. He gets involved. He's got a good shot. Um, so I, I doubt, I, I wonder if he'll sign another contract or if the Oilers will have him back. I, I like him enough. I think that they should. If they lose, let's say they lost Caleb Jones, for instance, to um, in the uh, to Seattle in the expansion draft, Lenstrom would be, you know, a good kind of fill-in, kind of similar kind of puck-moving defenseman with, you know, with, with some jump in his game. So um, we saw Olivier Rodrigue, Bruce, and um, he replaced Stuart Skinner. Um, after Skinner gave up three goals and didn't look very good at all. Mm-hmm. Re- Skinner's outplaying, it looks like, Rodrigue considerably this year. Uh, let me just have a look here. He's got a, one of them in terms of a save percentage. Let me see. It's uh, it's not even close. Skinner's in the 9-10 range, and Rodrigue is in the uh, eight seventy range. But tonight... Uh, Olivier Rodrigue looked, I thought he looked really good. It was my first uh, close look at him, and he mm-hmm. moved very well in the net. He made a lot of good saves. Mm-hmm. And um, there, there might, you know, he was, what was this? He was a third round pick of the order, second round pick, second, 60 Last pick of the second round, yeah. Yeah, his save percentage was 872 heading into the game. So I liked what I saw. I saw a goalie who uh, actually, and also was fairly good moving the puck. Uh, which I, you know, having seen Mike Smith, I've come to value that quite a bit. Skinner's save percentage is 914 heading into the game. It'll drop. So, yeah, so, I was So, Rodrigue's, because his was 864 tonight, so he'll probably lose a point. Uh, yeah. Anyway, he he uh, he made some nice saves. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't like the way he sealed off the bottom of the net, and I think it cost him on... Uh, at least one goal, and I'm thinking two goals, trying to remember all those damn goals. I mean, it was 6 nothing for Colorado <laughs> before Bakersfield ever got a sniff. And yeah, there was each, one there. Each, 
each go yeah where the guy just kind of went right through him and he also made like three or four saves like very close to his own goal line and he, you know he was playing very deep in his crease and as a relatively small goaltender i think he's six foot zero um that if he's not out challenging on the top of the blue paint he's going to have trouble with you know, power forwards jamming away at pucks in the blue paint. He's got to he's got to be out a, a little higher than that. So I was I, I like some of his saves. I, I didn't I didn't like some of his saves, and I didn't like the goals. So I saw I was lukewarm on his performance, frankly. Skinner really struggled tonight. He's having a better year. The others, this is Skinner's final year. Uh, he on his ELC, I believe. He yep. he. So the others have a an interesting. Um, situation with him because he has seen he was ranked I think in Craig Button's top 75 prospects I think he was somewhere in the 70s early 70s so he's valued highly but if the orders send him back to the HL year, next year he'll have to go on waivers and another team could take uh, him no so, not for goalies David oh, goalies okay. got a fourth year before oh, the God. waivers kicks in and oh, I mean, God, I mean it's, it's sort of a widely recognized thing that goalies take a little longer and the waiver rules are a little different for them and the, of course, the games played requirement that applies to skaters is very different for goalies because they don't get charged with the games game played when they're when they're backing up. So they accrue games. You know, even the number one goalie will play 50 or 55, not 80 in a season, right? So uh, they have different rules. But there's a fourth year where they're kind of free and clear before they uh, they have to go through that process. So I, I think my understanding is they would be safe to re-sign Skinner, which I'm certain they're going to do. And send him back down to the minors without having to to risk him and they uh, uh, losing him on waivers the way they did a couple of net minders earlier this year. That's excellent news. I didn't know that, and because I was thinking, you can't count on Stuart Skinner to be the backup in the NHL next year. He clearly needs more time in the AHL, I think. And uh, one more year should do it. After another year in the HL, you'll know, like, is this guy worth keeping or not? They still don't know it because he's kind of having a, he's been playing pretty well this year in terms of save percentage and uh, from what I'm hearing. So um, that's good news, Bruce. You know, of course, they have Ilya Konovalov, uh, the young Russian goalie. I don't know if he'll be coming over. So there might be some competition for Rodrigue and Skinner next year if Konovalov, I think his contract's up this summer, if yes. I'm not mistaken. So, um probably is wise maybe they'll maybe he'll go one more year in the uh the russian league so he can get a lot of games but um so there's a couple prospects but none of them are bowling anybody over right now i don't yeah. think well Stuart skinner to segue to the other goalie that uh um we watched tonight that's an NHL contracted netminder uh the Connors came out of the gate slow maybe they were a little fat and happy after last night's win uh and Skinner was playing both games as a back-to-back, which I questioned. I didn't get goalies. that, yeah. And uh, the the Condors had a bad start, and what they needed was a couple of saves in the early going, and they did not get them. The very first shot of the game uh, went right through Skinner's five-hole, where his stick should have been, but wasn't. And, I mean, it was a close-range bang-bang play, but it was one where with good positioning you get a save there, and, and they didn't have it. And they were behind to stay after one minute and 46 seconds. And then a couple minutes later, 5.22, uh, uh, he was beaten 
high blocker with a pretty good shot, but again, you know, I think a savable shot. And this was Alex Newhook, the uh, hot shot that just came out of college, uh, first round draft pick of uh, Colorado, good Newfoundland boy. And uh, he scored his first pro point on the first goal, his first assist, and then he scored his first pro goal, being the second goal that put him up 2 nothing and in very comfortable position. And he had a strong game with number of shots. And Skinner did make a couple of saves off a new hook later in the first period. He went high, high blocker on him again a couple of times. But he got beaten that same spot early in the second period. First shot of the second period, he's out. Uh, Jay Woodcroft didn't mess around after that one. The Bakersfield team was awfully loose in the first period, man. They were just like, they were just um, young Max Gilden, I think, gave away the puck yeah. on the first goal. That was a bad yeah. turnover, and it was just no one was covering anyone. It was a mess. They were they they were uh, leaky defensively. That's for sure. Uh, Kemp, young Phil Kemp from was he from Harvard or mm-hmm. Yale? Harvard. Um, he he came out. Uh, um, before the season started, actually, he left university to play in Sweden. Right. Uh, he played with uh, Raphael Lavoie on the VASB team, which was a really terrible team in the Swedish second division. And um, some people are quite high on Kemp. Bruce, I don't, I, I can't say I'm in that camp. Um, I'm not, I'm not seeing, I see a, a smart player, one who tries hard. But uh, I'm a little bit underwhelmed by his game. How, what are you thinking of of him at this point? Oh, I didn't see him good tonight, and he, he's he's sort of he, he's not he's not very smooth. He's not a great skater, and he was late to the dance a couple of times. There were, you know, he was sort of also in frame, but he wasn't really in a good place within the frame, and uh, you know his. his his game to be successful, he's got to be ace at things like blocking out and and uh, uh, boxing out and and uh, uh, blocking shots, being in the lanes, having a stick in the lanes. And tonight, I saw him outside of the lanes uh, a couple of times, and not really that mobile to get you know to recover when beaten. So I'm. I came away from uh, tonight's thing fairly nonplussed about uh, about him. Young player, I mean, these these guys that are just turning pro this year, you got to give them some time, and he's got for time. sure. But he's starting from uh, uh, a less advanced place than I hoped. Six three two ten has always been a you know known as a leader on his team. He's just I think he's just twenty two, just turned twenty two, if I'm not mistaken, in February. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, he's got, and he's just entered the HL, which is a very difficult league. It's hard to hard to thrive. So we'll see how he does over time. I, I, I'd seen him play in Sweden as well. Right. Um, so let's, uh, Marcus Niemelein did, didn't play tonight. I, I had seen him earlier. He looked a heck of a lot better in the HL than he looked in Finland this year. Cooper Marodi, Bruce. What are you thinking of Cooper Marodi? He's 24 now. Uh-huh. Man, he's just killing it in the league this year. He didn't have a Ooh. great game tonight, but uh, what are your thoughts? Well, he scored a, he scored an okay goal last night. I saw parts of the game from last night. To be uh, to be honest, I I, I finally uh, 
uh, I, I, I finally relented and got the AHL TV subscription when they lowered their prices at midseason. So I, and I caught up on yesterday's game and I watched tonight's game. I want to track this team down the stretch. And so I, ha- I haven't, I saw a lot of these fellas playing overseas this year, but uh, tonight's the first full game that I've seen Bakersfield play. And I was a little disappointed in Marodi's game, to be frank. And I think Jay Woodcroft was too, because he took him off the first line and put him down on what I would call the third line uh, with um, with Esposito and Gambardella. And he promoted Raphael Lavoie up to the up to the uh, place of Marodi alongside of uh, uh, Ryan McLeod and Tyler Benson, both of whom we'll speak about in a moment. Uh, Maroney had a couple of decent plays in combination, but he wasn't really a driver by any sense of the word in this game. I thought he was uh, one of a few Bakersfield players who came up late. He was flying last night. That line mm-hmm. itself yeah. was flying. He scored a fantastic goal. Uh, and he's become more of a scorer this year. Uh, he's got as uh, 17 goals in 26 games. I think he leads the league. So, uh, yeah, he, he was flat yes. tonight. That whole line was, uh, well... He, he was, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think McLeod and Benson were actually a bit better. Yep. But, um, you know, he is, he is again, after having an off year last year, he's the Patrick Kane of the AHL. Now, if whether, the, you know, of the AHL, Bruce. No, I hear you. Yeah, he's not the Patrick Kane of the NHL. He's the Patrick <laughs> Kane of the AHL. Uh, he's a dominant player. The pucks, he's got the puck on a string a lot of the time. He can fly around with it. He makes great passes a lot of the time. He did last night's game, um, so uh, he. But he's 24. This is kind of last chance gas for Cooper Marodi in terms of being a any kind of prospect because right. he's getting up there in age. Uh, I'd like to see him called up to Edmonton and and see how he does playing with uh, Drysaitel or McDavid. I'd like to see him and Benson get the first call. Uh, both of those guys and uh, slot them in there and see how they do. He so, can skate with those guys? He He's smart, Bruce. He's a, I think no. he's a smart player. He can, he can, he can, yeah, he could skate with Dreisaitl. Uh, who can skate with Connor McDavid? That's a really good question. Well, but he's Maroon smart. could. I mean, there's, there's, well, there, there's there more to the game than speed. He, he likes the puck on his stick, Marodi does, but he could take and make plays with McDavid. I think he might work better with Dreisaitl, and I think Benson might work better with uh, McDavid because Benson's more of a passer of the puck. He doesn't need the puck on his stick. He wins it on the boards and he passes it, but Marodi could work just fine. Maybe with dry settle, you know, is he any, is he much worse of a player or any worse of a player than Dominic Cahoon? He might be a little bit better. Like that, that's what I'd like to see. We don't know. Cahoon's having mediocre success, mediocre um, results with dry settle. Could Cooper Marodi do better? Maybe he could. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing if he could, because what's again, what's happening now isn't working, hasn't been working for some time. And I think they need a change. Mike Kesselring, Bruce, he is just turned 21. Mm-hmm. And he, he's, um, his dad tells me he's six foot five, 215 pounds now and, or, or six, four, 215 pounds. Uh, he's played there. This was his eighth game. What did you think of him? Well, he looks a little bit awkward, but he's he's got, I like his hockey sense. And, you know, I like to 
plays that he's able to make under uh, under pressure. But he's you know he's a great big guy that that's um, uh, you know I'd say not super coordinated uh, yet at least. I mean when you're when you're that size and that young, sometimes it just takes a while for for all that um, uh, for it all to come together. Remember how long that you waited for Jamie Alexiak to put the pieces together? <laughs> Finally happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it can, but sometimes it takes the big boys a little bit longer. And let's face it, I mean, he's only been in the, uh, he's only been in the pro ranks for, uh, uh, for uh, eight games. They tonight they actually did award him, announce him with his first professional point with an assist on the Adam Cracknell goal. But I see they've correctly corrected that to give the assist. He started the play, but he passed it to. Uh, Kevin Gravel, who passed it to Jacob Stuckel, who passed it to Adam Cracknell. So those two guys wound up getting the assists, and Kesselring gets the, uh, you know, the uh, fourth point award, of, which is no point at all. But he did start the play with a decent, uh, uh, decent breakout pass. Uh, defensively, he has he has this capacity to come out of nowhere and make a decent defensive play, which he did at least one time tonight. But another time, he came out of nowhere and took a holding penalty. So there's that. He's pretty uh, aggressive out there. I notice he really goes mm-hmm. for it. He, he gets gets in their faces, trying to make plays. Good. And uh, yeah, I think that's good Spe- as well. Especially now in his career, I mean, he's got probably going to have to learn to pick his spots and when to do that and when not to do that. But the time to be learning those lessons are now in the AHL when the mistakes are not as costly. In, in both games, he made a play that I liked, and under pressure in his own zone, he wins the puck. And really heads up play on, on his backhand in kind of an awkward position. He backhanded it to someone in the, in the slot, the defensive slot, breaking the puck out the middle of the ice. He did that tonight, and he did that in the previous game. And I thought, oh, that's a really gutsy and smart play. Uh, that's kind of an NHL play. So um, keep doing that. Keep doing that. And, uh, you know, he's clearly going to be in the AHL for two years at least. Probably yeah. all three yeah. before we see him. He's got a lot of de- developing to do, but I, I do, I like the, you know, he's big and he's toolsy. It's funny though, when I say he's big, when Vincent DeHarnay is out on the ice, nobody looks big except for Vincent DeHarnay. He's he's listed at 6'7", 228. And I think Ryan Holt, the broadcaster, was saying he's bigger than that now than 228. But Vincent DeHarnay is a monster out there and he makes Kesselring look like, a, like an average size player. Um, well, he was he got into a, um, a, a fight. Well, an argument with a player on uh, Colorado, and the guy was like maybe five six, and he was <laughs> he, he like he came up to his shoulder pads. He like he what didn't even come up to his chin. And the Herne was just looking way down at the guy, and I'm thinking, is that guy on his knees? And he just hasn't got up yet because the whistle had gone. <laughs> no, he was standing up. And it was like easily a foot difference between the two. I can't remember which Colorado guy there was. If you look down the roster and find the shortest guy, it was probably him. Okay, we uh, we haven't talked much about Tyler Benson and Ryan McLeod. And mm. um, I just, uh, I and have Rafael to say, Ryan, well, we'll be saving the best till last, Bruce, is what mm. we're doing there, okay. uh, in, in my opinion. Okay. Um, Ryan McLeod it, has taken a step up. Uh, from what I saw him in the Swiss League earlier this year, mm-hmm. um, he, he he is flying out there. 
And on the power uh, on the power play, once he went end to end, you know, did a Connor McDavid style rush going end to end and taking it right to the goalie and almost scoring. He is playing with a tremendous amount of confidence. Yes, he is. Something that was seemed to be lacking last year, handling the puck, making plays, making passes. He's shooting better. He scored a, a great kind of goal on a rush last game. Breakaway, yeah. Win. And um, he's got 25 points now in 26 games after kind of mediocre score, point scoring in his last year. He's So he's 21 years old, two full years in the AHL now. Mm-hmm. And he looks like he could be ready now or certainly next next September or October, whenever the season starts for the NHL next year, to make a move and make the Oilers. He's, his offensive game has completely taken off, and I don't know if he can translate that to the NHL. Like, you know, can he go end-to-end in the NHL and make that kind of play? But he's he's doing that at a very young age. Uh, he's making that kind of high-skill play right now in the AHL. I, didn't, I haven't really got a sense yet. I've always been a little concerned about his play in the defensive slot just like I am with every center on earth. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not sure if he's there yet as a center, but as a winger in the NHL, it's kind of nice to think about him cruising up and down the wing because he looks like he can play with skill. Like he can make given goal plays with other skilled players like he's doing with Barodi and Benson. Right. What's your take? I loved his game tonight. I thought he, he did more for me than anybody else on Bakersfield with what he showed in this game. Skating, 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 for one thing. 200-foot game. Like, tonight I watched that game, came away, convinced this is a guy who's going to be able to play center. And maybe not right away, but, you know, maybe it's going to take him a little while. But uh, uh, some of these, um, uh, you know, lower-round players, and he's a second-round pick, so he's not like he came from the dregs of the draft or anything, but he was not sort of an automatic first-round pick or anything. And it takes him a while to come up through the ranks, but the difference between him this year and him last year is quite a lot. Yeah. And in a positive way, like he was winning face-offs tonight. Unfortunately, he won two or three so clean, they went right past the point man and out. Uh, it was one of those nights for Bakersfield, let's face it. But it was... Uh, um, he was he was winning puck battles. He was skating with the puck, skating very confidently with the puck, and doing little subtle little things like one play where he uh, uh, he cut into the uh, faceoff circle on the offensive zone. It looked like he was ready to drive the net, and then he just turned and he dropped the pass to a teammate coming behind him. But he turned in such a way that he completely blocked the lane of the checker, so that his line mate, I think it was Benson. Uh, wound up with a clear lane, you know, in a different direction. But uh, but um, in the act of dropping the puck off, he protected that puck by by preventing the nearest uh, defensive player from having any play of it. So, he, you know, he was just aware of how to use his own body to best advantage. And that's a, you know, that's a thing that doesn't necessarily come naturally to young players. You got to learn that sort of thing. And when you see young guys doing stuff like that, it's a very good sign. So I saw lots of good signs. I thought he was good on the penalty kill. He was good on the power play. Like this guy has got a whole lot of game. So last year uh, in Bakersfield as a 20 year old, he had uh, 23 points in 56 games. Five goals. And, 
five goals. And this year he has 25 points in 26 games uh, and 13 goals. So, you know, pretty remarkable. And, and have to give credit to Ken Holland here. He did such a great job of placing players like McLeod and Lavoie. I don't, I'm not sure maybe every NHL team did, but I, I think the owners did better than almost. Oh, they were the best for mo- most anyway. They had the yeah, most guys over and, there. And I think that's really helped players like uh, Lavoie and McLeod. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? You know, Kemp got placed over there. So uh, Benson got placed over there. And Benson's Benson, you know, he had kind of a down year last year compared to his year mm-hmm. before. And now he's back uh, playing his best game. So um, good for Ken Holland. That was a key thing, you know, often overlooked, but it's it's helped these players come out and, and really start to play well in the HL to the point where they've gone from, you know, based on his first year in the HL, McLeod was becoming sort of a suspect in terms of a prospect. But right. now he's right at the right near the top of the Oilers prospect list again. Benson, Bruce, what did you think of, of him tonight? Uh, I I liked in a, a limited way, like like he made some nice passes, which is you know his A game. It's moving the puck. Yeah. And uh, he was shooting it appropriately from from the slot. He scored a fine goal from the slot last night, where he picked a top corner from about twenty five feet. Um, and he he took a couple of shots from there tonight. One that narrowly missed the the post, and a couple that tested the goalie. But he shot from you know from from good spots and and they were good tests none of none of them went in but between uh those uh i don't know how many official shots he had in the game it was three and he had uh uh like he dished the puck well like he's he's very secure with the puck like when he's got it it's it's going in a good direction going to a teammate uh not very much in the way of you know, bad turnovers or prayer passes and hoping somebody's around, you know, like he knows where the puck's going and he knows who, who it's going to. And so he was, uh, he wasn't the problem tonight. Let's put it that way. I don't suppose that he had a particularly great game by his standards, but uh, he looked like a good, solid uh, professional prospect in that game. And I give him a passing grade. Let's put it that way. 29 points, Bruce, in 24 mm. games. That's the kind of like raising of his attacking game that needed to happen for Tyler Benson this year. And uh, I, I can't, I, I really am hoping to see him get a chance this year in Edmonton. And I don't know when or if that's going to happen, but I think he's earned it. Uh, my favorite player on the Condors right now in terms of being a prospect is Raphael Lebois. And I, I think what he has is what the Oilers need. This guy is, he is a direct hockey player. He gets the puck in the offensive end and he's got one thing in, in mind, take it to the net, take it to the net. And that means either work yourself in as quickly as possible in a, into a place where you can shoot the puck or just take it to the net. And, and um, he didn't do that as much tonight. He did that more um, last game, but um the owners don't have that shoot first player who's got a re- oh. other than Leon Dreisaitl, who and even Leon Dreisaitl isn't really a shoot first player unless unless he's <laughs> he, he's loves passing the puck. Yeah. But Lavoie doesn't love passing the puck. He loves getting the he puck. Can pass it, but he can he pass it, but he loves he getting loves the puck shoot. and shooting the puck. And can he ever shoot that puck? He scored a he scored a fantastic goal tonight 
It was a four on three power play, but he was essentially um, just a little bit inside the faceoff dot and a little bit above it uh, from a grade B scoring chance area outside the grade area. And he just beat the goalie with the shot. That's the kind of shot that he's exhibited all year long. And uh, he's, uh, I, I, I'm not, I don't know how long it's going to take him in the HL Bruce and it might, it might take him a full season down there. I mean, Ken Holland really does like to have his players spend some time in the HL, generally speaking. So I could see, yeah, with reason. So I could see him spending that time down there, but he's, I, I, it's hard not to start to think of him maybe being the answer to, to what the orders need on one of these top lines, because Playing with Connor McDavid and having um, getting McDavid setups, you know, McDavid sets up players he constantly. He, he will score some goals, and he might do might do it sooner than later because of his uh, offensive instincts. What are your thoughts? Well, last night he scored a great goal as well. Just a wicked snapshot, about an inch inside the post before the goalie could get over. That one he scored from the left faceoff circle. Tonight he scored from the right face-off circle, uh, and and he just basically overpowered the goalie glove side. And when I say the goalie, I'm talking about Adam Werner, who at that point was about six minutes away from his second consecutive shutout. Like the guy was hot and made a lot of good saves in this game, and uh, Lavoie just flat out beat him from about maybe 25 feet out with a uh, with just a power snapshot and he's now he came in he's played six games now the first two games he played he led the team in shots both nights with four shots like he's a shooter first and he came right in guns blazing right from this first game well he had no points in his first two games well now he's got a four game point streak with three goals and an assist in the last four games and you know this is a guy who's still sort of dipping his toes in the water in terms of north american pro hockey and already he's starting to produce, you know, three goals in six games. If you look at the overall picture, that's a nice output. And, uh, you know, you could see why with the two shots he scored on the last two games. He's a shooter and he's a, you know, he, he's got the ability to pick corners and beat goalies. And nice to have a couple of those or even one of those floating around in your system. The truth is about players who are going to be offensive players in the NHL, they tend to announce themselves fairly early in their careers. Like they don't, they're not waiting around to start putting up points. So when, when they get to the league, like the AHL, like the guys who are going to score later on in the, in the NHL, they usually start off scoring pretty well. So it's a very good sign that Lavoie is doing this. Um, As you say, uh, four points in his, in his last four games. And I think his stock has gone up considerably since the Oilers drafted him. He had a, he had a really good year. His draft one year, plus one year, was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, he made Team Canada, for instance, and he and he scored at a very high rate, thirty eight goals in fifty five games in the Quebec yes. League that year. And this year, um, it's eighty two points. It's, it's gone right. It's gone right up again this year mm-hmm. because he, he had a very good year with Vasby on a, on a not very good team. And now he's looking good in Bakersfield. So all the arrows are pointing in the right direction and it'll be interesting to see how, how quickly he, he progresses. The other thing I like about him Bruce is he's huge. He's, he's six, three, two Oh five. They list him at two Oh five. He looks bigger than that. He just, he just looks, 
he, he, yeah, he will be bigger than that. He's a great big guy. His skating is okay. And he's aggressive. He's, he's, he's got a nasty edge to him. I would say more than any other player on the team, actually. Um, I don't know if we've seen it at the AHL yet, but I saw it in Sweden. He can, he can get really chippy uh, mm-hmm. and, he, and pretty rough out there, which is great. Uh, for a scoring winger, he, he does. He's not. He doesn't shrink from violent play. He he uh, brings it. So um, he's got some edge, doesn't he? He he certainly does. And some of sometimes that that, that edge uh, gets you know results in bad penalties. So that's yeah. you know that that's the price you have to pay. Um, but uh, that edginess will also buy him some some time and some space at times, and he doesn't need a whole lot of either to turn it into a shooting and potentially scoring opportunity. So in Vasby this year, uh, which granted is the second division Swedish league, but still a step up from junior hockey, uh, he scored 23 goals, 45 points in 51 games, and he led his professional team in scoring as uh, basically a freshly turned 20-year-old. So he, uh, you know, he made that time over there count, and he's hit the ground running in Bakersfield. That uh, he was ready to go as soon as he got over here. Yeah. So um, this is a very good Bakersfield team. They didn't look like it tonight, but right. they're they're they're, they're <coughs> excuse me winning at about a <coughs> six hundred clip. Mm-hmm. And uh, the t- the hard part that Jay Woodcroft is going to have is finding ice time for all the players, but I think he's doing an, <clears throat> excuse me. Okay. Job Bruce. Yeah. He has, um, like at even strength, the players play relatively similar amount of ice times. He rolls his lines and defense pairings. So the key is who does he have out there on the peak oh. end, the power play? He's got one power play where he's got all the prospects together. Marodi, McLeod, um, Lavoie and Benson and Lenstrom. Are, are, are I think are the number one power play, and then on the other power play, he's got the veterans, you know, um, mm-hmm. Griffin, Malone, Gambardella, and, and Cracky, as they call him, Cracknell. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see uh, Woodcroft use some of these younger players on the PK a little bit more. I don't know which ones are suitable for it. McLeod. He has McLeod out there, and he has Camp on the on the PK, but Kesselring's got to get out there, and. Um, I don't know, maybe Benson. Like, I, I don't know why that hasn't happened yet, frankly. But I, I just think um, that's the only critique I would have of Jay Woodcroft's handling of the players is he's going with the veterans on the PK. Mm-hmm. And I I just would like to see uh, definitely Kessel Ring, maybe Benson. I don't see Marodi as a penalty killer, but um, right. I don't think Lavoie is a penalty killer. Oh. But... Uh, those other two guys might be. So maybe he'll work them in there. I'm just surprised Benson hasn't been worked in yet because it's one more thing that would help him get an NHL job if he could excel as a PK player. And I don't see why he couldn't. So, Well, McLeod gets, it seems to be front and center on the PK unit, taking yes. the first face off on the, on the, on the unit. And, and at least on, depending on which line was on the ice that took the penalty, like he was certainly part of the rotation on, on, each of the penalty kills. Uh, I think he might have been um, in the group that was scored on for the second power play goal that um, uh, Colorado, with their very good power play, got tonight. Um, 
but I thought McLeod was good on the kill up until that point. He's dangerous. Like he'll he'll counterattack with that speed of his and the decent skill that he's got. And uh, he, you know, he's uh, he's a bit of a threat while shorthanded, but also decent enough. Uh, you know, just making the routine plays and and uh, getting the puck out of the zone. So there's a whole lot to like in that player, Dave. If he can win face-offs on the PK, Bruce, that'll go a long way in earning uh, the trust of Dave Tippett. I think I heard Ryan Holt say, and I haven't watched enough games to be sure, but he that the coach usually sends out uh, Esposito and Cracknell mm-hmm. as the first unit on on PKs. Right. Okay. This is a team. The, the Bakersfield team does have just a really excellent ve- core group of veteran players on this team. Mm-hmm. They uh, they have that in place. Uh, let me just. Um, I've got Cracknell, Griffith, Malone, Gambardella, Stanton, Gravel as uh, you know six guys that have been around for a while. Maybe Gambardella a little less so because if they signed him out of college, but he's you know been in the system for three or four years. And the other guys are veteran pros and. You know, so I think that is a template, uh, you know, that he's building around, that he's able to slot his young guys in and put them in good places. So I think they got a good formula down there. So I don't know if there's going to be playoffs. I don't think they know if there's going to be playoffs in the AHL this year. If there was playoffs in the AHL this this year, this team could go far in the playoffs if they can get goaltending because this is a very good team. Might be the best AHL team that I've seen actually because of the because of the veteran presence actually. The, it's a really strong group of players that they have together. Um, you know, Stanton is a very good defenseman, and so is Gravel at this level. Seth Griffith is a is a fantastic little attacker, and Cracknell and Malone are, are great two-way players at this level of play. Right. And okay. they're supported by this young attacking group, which is pretty uh, pretty uh, strong one. for uh, by AHL standards. So three of them I don't are know. the top ten scorers, right? Yeah, I don't know if there's going to be playoffs. And even even if there were, these guys might be called up for the Oilers' playoff run. I would suspect that at least McLeod and Benson will be called up for the Oilers' playoff run. And I wouldn't be surprised if Marodi was either. So, um, Well, what I'm anticipating, David, is they'll have some playoffs, but it will be just within the division and that they won't, yes. they won't play ever play for the uh, um, Calder Cup. Calder Cup. But they'll play, you know, for within their divisions like we're doing here in the in NHL, but just just that far and then calling it a, a day is what I'm guessing might happen. Well, the the one thing that could change that, Bruce, is they have an incredible vaccination program in the United States right now. And they don't yet have uh, fans in the stands. But if they can start selling tickets, it might be a huge incentive for those right. AHL owners, because what they're worried about, I think, is just the cost of extending the season. Uh, but by mid-May or the end of May or June, um, the United States might just be rolling. I mean, I saw a chart today, Bruce, for the first time since the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. When you compare like this week, this year to the week, the, the, the previous, before the pandemic, I think to 19, uh, 2019, there was more uh, cars on the road this week in the United States than there was before the pandemic in 2019 for wow. the similar week. So the, for, for the first time in, a, in since the pandemic started. So they're, wow. they're rolling down there. So maybe, uh, maybe things will change fast. Uh, maybe that's what they're waiting for to see before they announce if there's going to be playoffs or not. 
Uh, I hope there is. I'd like to see this team compete in the playoffs, and I, it would be very good for for players like Lavoie, for instance, uh, to get that playoff run under his belt. Maybe uh, same goals. For, and usually they keep the, actually usually they keep the HL players down there, don't they, for the playoffs? If typically, unless yeah. they really need a guy, you know, they, yeah. they'd rather have him playing playoff games down there than watching Sitting from around. above up here. So now it's one one of the. Funny moments of tonight's game was one of those cardboard cutout fans bought it during the game. A puck went over the, <laughs> the glass and drilled this cardboard cutout and knocked him down the stairs to the bottom. And then that <laughs> my heart out first. Had a little bit of a laugh out of that. <laughs> yeah, those I love. I think they what they've done is take pictures of season ticket holders. Yeah, they're real people at the pictures. I actually are think that's real, really sweet. Or their pets or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They did the same thing in the curling and it was uh, it was a real nice touch. The Oilers should have done that. I think it's brilliant. Already Bruce, I uh, have we got any final thoughts? Uh, well, my final thought is just looking at the AHL writ large this year because of the taxi squads in the NHL and because of the number of players that are kind of in this middle zone that normally would be in the AHL, but they aren't there because they're on taxi squads and kind of in limbo on the NHL. So I've taken to thinking of it as being the A-HL, where it's not quite up to its normal standards because guys like, uh, well, I mean, you could look at the guys on the taxi squad here in Edmonton. Some of those guys would be, you know, playing in the AHL this year and the league would be, you know, a little higher standard. So I wonder if that kind of, the league's a little bit watered down and for making it a little bit easier for Cracker Jack prospects like, uh, you know, Ryan Malone, Cooper Marodi, Tyler Benson, to light it up a little bit more than they might if they were playing against the usual competition. Yeah. Uh, we sometimes hear from a fan called Rich at Eastern Refugee on Twitter, who's yes. a big Bakersfield fan. He, sure he was is. making the point that he actually thinks that the competition in the West is quite high mm -hmm. uh, in Bakersfield because there's, these teams are stacked with first-round draft picks. And um, there's it's oh, it's right. much easier yeah. to shift players back and forth. There's no quarantine, I don't think, moving the teams back and players back and forth. So, like, if there's an Evan Bouchard of the LA Kings, he's probably playing right. for, for the team down there, which is really unfortunate. For the, the Oilers don't have that, but such as life in the pandemic. Bruce, good talking to, to you tonight. Yes. Yeah. All right. Pleasure talking hockey always. And nice to have hockey to talk about, even if it's not Oilers hockey these days with these cancellations. This was supposed to be an Oilers uh, game night. But uh, hopefully we'll get one of those on Friday, if not Saturday for sure. Pick it up. So anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, we always seem to find a game to talk about, Bruce, even if it, ha even if it has to be in Sweden or Moscow or Bakersfield. So, yes, thanks, everyone, for listening. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Good night, Ed Whalen.